about the body of Christ and how the body needs to be unified and the body needs to be united for the purposes of God. But what exactly is meant by the body of Christ? And how do the collective we in the church fit into that body? Well, the body of Christ begins with the bodies of the believers. How do I fit in it? And how can I personally ensure that we aren't just a collection of random parts and random people trying to be something that we aren't? And so that's what we're going to search for today in this text. How can my body be used in the body? And in what way has God specified that I should be used? One of the big problems and reasons believers feel so unfulfilled in their walk with God is because they are trying to fit in somewhere that maybe God has not intended. And so today we will explore what it means to be in this body and what God expects of us. So go with me if you will. We're going to Romans 12 and 1. Romans 12 and 1. And it reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who con contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin uh, this week, um, God, all of us have bodies. All of us are in this body. But not all of us know exactly what you expect of us. God, we have been placed here in the body of Christ, but in the bodies that you've given us with intention and with purpose. And that is not by mistake. God, help us as we hear the word, as we navigate, help us live the lives that you have called us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so I want to pretend as we get started, let's pretend that we are Jewish. And let's pretend that we are Jewish and we understand the context of what was just said in Romans 12 and 1. What's so strange about this text? Well, first of all, if you're a Jew, no one would ever offer a living sacrifice. 
The whole point of the sacrifice is that it must be dead so that the blood is shed. And it is required by law that sacrifices be dead. Why? Because they're being offered to cover some sort of sin that you had committed. And there was a requirement that blood be shed to cover those sins. And so not only is it unorthodox to offer living sacrifice, according to the law, is unacceptable. Even more inappropriate is that he says that the sacrifice that you are offering, not only is it alive, but is human. So this is unacceptable, is inappropriate, and is just plain weird. Our own bodies. Not only is he asking you to make this human sacrifice, but he is saying, I appeal to you. If you want to be in right relationship with God, the standard is that you are offering yourself back to God. Offering yourself back to God is not the least that you can do. When it says that it's your reasonable service, it says that it makes sense. Offering yourself back to God is the most that you can do. And so let's think about what this harkens back to. Jesus and the Last Supper. Even then, when he says, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, even then, what Jesus said is radical. Y'all remember in the Bible when everybody thought Jesus had lost his mind because he said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you won't have any portion with me. And then his mama heard about that and his brothers heard about that and they were like, you need to stop saying that. Because they didn't fully understand what he was saying. That he would be sacrificing his body on our behalf. And that's weird. But even then, Jesus wasn't a living sacrifice. When his body is offered, he was dead. Now, obviously, we know that he is raised from the dead, but when his body was given, it was a dead, broken body. And he offers that so that the sins of those who believe can be taken away. But Paul doesn't want us to think that now that that means because his body was offered that we can rest on our Lord's. Great. Jesus paid for my sins. I'm a Christian. My sins are forgiven. Now I can just coast into eternity. It's not the point. No, I am not just coasting. My body actually has a place in his body. So no, I'm not some floating orb operating on my own. No, I have been called to join my body into the body of Christ. And the reason that my sacrifice has to be living is because the death of Jesus covered everything it could cover. There would be no point in me being some sort of sacrifice. It atoned for my sins. And so if I'm expected to sacrifice my body, well, if the dead sacrifices had conditions on them, 
how many more conditions do you think a living sacrifice will have? How much more appropriate should a living sacrifice be offered in order for it to be acceptable? Paul says that it not only can be acceptable, but it's only acceptable if it's holy. It must be holy and acceptable. But you'll notice something interesting. I've heard preachers preach this text you got to give your body, and you got to be holy, 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 holy. What does that mean? Because you'll notice, Paul doesn't give a list. He doesn't say, this is holiness, this is unholiness. He says that you give your lives, your bodies, and the sacrifice must be holy and acceptable. Well, give me some help, Paul. I want to be holy. Maybe, depending on the criteria. I want to be acceptable, but I don't know what that means. How do I make myself holy and acceptable? How do I present myself? Well, that's actually the key. It is how you present yourself. How do I use my body? We've seen this before, but I think it's really important for us to go back to it in Romans 6.13. He says, don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, he says, this is going to be real important. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Y'all, what Paul does here is remarkable. He takes these two things that the body needs, two things that the body has been created to do, and he says for both of these things that they can either glorify God or defile the body. Ain't that crazy how he does that? That you could be doing something that God has called you to do that should be glorifying him, but if you do it with the wrong intentions or in the wrong manner, that the thing that was created to glorify God can actually defile you. And that's where that standard starts. Now, y'all notice he did something crazy here. He's comparing food and sex. Two things we like. And they probably, for most of us, seem like they are worlds apart, but they actually aren't. You probably would never compare eating food to your sexual appetite. But Paul's point is that they're not as far apart from each other as you think they are. And so he says this, 
to encapsulate how we know when something has gone too far for us. He says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. When talking with people, specifically kids at the school, they always want to know, what am I allowed to do as a Christian, and what am I not allowed to do? And I always tell them, look, y'all, like, it's so much deeper than what am I allowed to do? Yes, there are certain things and sins listed that we know. We know the Ten Commandments. We know that there are things that are always absolutely wrong, non-negotiables. But what about the things that aren't mentioned? What about the things that aren't named? Does it mean that I can freely do whatever I want to do because it's not listed? Well, no. And so I actually find it interesting, y'all. Don't condemn me. But I find it interesting that many Christians will harbor on someone smoking tobacco, something not mentioned in the Bible, but readily ignore things like gluttony that are mentioned in the Bible. Listen, the, the point is not that smoking cannot be simple. It can be. But really, that's the point. Anything can be sinful. Anything can defile you even if the original intention of the thing was for good. That's the larger point. Yes, smoking can be just as sinful as gluttony, and gluttony just as sinful as sexual immorality or watching too much TV or spending too much time on your phone. So the question isn't, what are the things I can and can't do? The question is this. Are there things in my life that may not be sinful for you, but are for me. Are there things that aren't listed in the Bible that may still be sin for me? Are there things and convictions that I face that prevent me from being able to fully serve the Lord? from presenting myself holy and acceptable. Y'all, we will talk about all these sins and all these things, but how many of us are so overworked, so tired, so exhausted from chasing a dime that the Lord gets the remains of us? And we come to church on fumes to offer something that I'm not saying going to work is sinful, but the condition that work has put us in by the time it's Sunday or time for us to have any community or fellowship with God, how is it that a job is getting more of us than God? And then we come up here and we sing on E. 
We listen on fumes. And you think just because you do it is wholly unacceptable. I'm not saying stop going to work. I'm saying all that you are giving that, you need to give it to God. That's it. All of the energies that we will place in other things, in friendships, relationships, marriages, our children. What if all the energy we were putting in those things were leaving us useless to God? Y'all, anything in our lives that is unchecked can lead you to sin. Even things that you intended on being good. And so in order for my life and body to be used by God, I got to keep it checked. I had some doctor's appointments recently. And one of the doctors I went to brought up a component of my blood work that just wasn't where it needed to be. It was lower than it needed to be. And so when I went back, because y'all know, I already think I got every disease known to man. So when I went back and looked at that same blood work for the past few years, I wasn't just upset that it was low now. I was upset that it has been trending low for years. My problem was, if I knew that this was happening, I would have checked it years ago. I needed somebody to tell me who was an expert on the body, hey, this is going low. Oh, let me check that now. And now, because I didn't check it when I needed to, there are other things that I feel like I need to do in order to get it where it needs to be. Y'all, it, it really is the same with God. We need to make our business to subject ourselves to regular diagnostic checks with God. So if you say, well, I started this hobby some years ago and it was really helpful then, is it still helpful? You know, things that start as hobbies or extra activities or those same things can lead to us putting more energy and faith in those things than God. And, and things that were helpful can become hurtful and harmful quickly. I developed this friendship some years ago, and it was helpful then, but have you kept it checked? Is it still as helpful now as it was then? So how are we to perform these diagnostic checks? Well, y'all, it begins with the word of God. And some basic questions. You know, when you go to the doctor, they have an external judgment to see how you're feeling, which is those labs. But they also ask you, how do you feel? How have you been sleeping? How is this going? So that they can measure up what the report says with what you're actually feeling. And so, yeah, I have the word of God. That is the lab report. But I also have to question, but how do I feel? 
Because the other component to that number that was low, what concerned me is that I didn't even feel it. I was like, how can something not even be functioning as well as it used to, and I didn't even notice it? Same thing happens with us, y'all. It's not just that the Bible is giving you a diagnostic report on your spiritual health. The fear is, how did I get this far? And I didn't even feel myself drifting away from God. And so what are those questions? One of them is, do I inconvenience myself for this, whatever this is in your life? Do I inconvenience myself for this in a way that I do not inconvenience myself for God? And it doesn't matter if you think what you're doing is for him or not. And the next one, and does this leave me unable to serve the Lord the way that I should? And this is why, though it is a bodily sacrifice, Paul describes it as our spiritual worship. The condition of the body that serves God is not divorced from the condition of the spirit that resides in it. And so I cannot offer something sacrificial bodily, a singing voice or raised hands or playing an instrument that isn't rooted in what is happening in my life spiritually. Matthew 5, 23 is evidence of that. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Y'all, the condition of our hearts affects the efficacy of our bodily service with God. Other than that, it's a lip service. And this is what makes a living sacrifice different than a dead sacrifice. You, yeah, you got to prepare it. You got to put it a certain way. You got to split it up and do all these things. But the condition of the spirit of that animal is insignificant. But that is not the case with us. If God is going to have our bodies, he must first have our hearts. That must first belong to him. And he goes on to say, how will you know exactly what is acceptable to God? He says, by not conforming yourself to the world, but by having a transformed and a renewed mind. So to understand this, the key to me being able to serve the Lord with the whole of myself starts with my heart, which affects my mind, which affects my body. So why is Paul harboring so much on us individually being in an acceptable state? 
The reason is because there is purpose for us in the body of Christ. And this is what he says further on in our text. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Y'all, every single person in this room has been gifted with a set of gifts and skills that aren't just for you, but they were created for the body of Christ. And before you can be used in the body, you must be conditioned to be in the body. Renewing your mind, transforming your mind, entering the body, not thinking more of yourself than you should. Not thinking that you are the end-all, be-all of the functionality of the church. Not thinking that when you don't come or you don't move or you don't operate, the things end with you. But rather seeing yourself in proportion to the rest of the body. When you think about your body, there are probably a few parts of it that you, you think are the most important parts. You probably think, yeah, my, my heart I can have some stuff go wrong with my big toe, but not my heart. It's not the same. My brain, I need that working. My lungs. But when getting into the weeds of it, you start to realize that little big toe that you don't think is as significant as your heart, let that big toe get an infection. And let that little big toe get septic. What started here in what you thought was an insignificant part of the body has just done what? It's affected the whole body. You start to realize, I don't really have any part in my body that cannot function well and it not affect the rest of me. That it won't set off a chain reaction. And so you realize that the heart isn't any more important than the kidneys or the pancreas and you never really think about any of these parts working well until they don't. Let some stop working. Then you realize, oh, it's real important. But more importantly, when something doesn't function the way that it should, the reason the rest of the body suffers is because it puts stress on the other parts of the body that are functioning well. 
And guess what happens to those? Well, they spend most of their time compensating for what doesn't work, that they can't work the way they post to work. And all of a sudden, this previously well-functioning body is dying from the inside, one failed organ after the next. Or, I don't know if this has ever happened in any actual body, but can you imagine if your lungs started trying to function like your brain, the brain starts to try to function like the stomach, what happens to the body then? Thus, he says, whatever you have been called to do with your body, in the body, you do that well. You do not need to be the jack of all trades in the body of Christ. He has called you to do something, and it may not be being up here, but it is so valuable to the rest of the body. And I'm telling y'all, yesterday was a testament to that. There were 400 people in this church yesterday. 400 people. All I had to do was preach. People got up here, they cleaned up, they cleaned bathrooms, they ushered, they served, they took care of people, they washed out. All I could think about was preaching a sermon to the 400 people who were living in the sanctuary. Nobody who went to our bathrooms knew who did it, but somebody did it. And because the rest of the body was functioning the way that it was functioning, I could get up here and do what the Lord has called me to do. There are no insignificant parts in the body. You are a member of this body. And if you are not functioning because of a lack of private commitment, a lack of private holiness or inefficiency, I just want to be frank. The body is suffering without you. You are needed in the body of Christ. And there is too much to do in the body without you being a part of it. So my challenge is I want all of us, let's do a diagnostic test. Are the things in my life that are pillars, are they holding something up? Are they holding something back? Because the same pillars that were holding a building up Samson was chained to. Things that used to be really important in your life and helpful, maybe that's not where you are anymore. And the beginning is realizing that and finding where God in his grace is shifting you.
Y'all, and that's nothing to fear. That is a beautiful thing. Because God in his grace doesn't leave us as this one stagnated person. But he is evolving us and changing us and beautifying us and conforming us not to the world, but to his image. And that's a beautiful thing. And nobody in this room deserves to miss out on that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for how you have placed us in the body. God, every single one of us has a body and we have been gifted differently. We are not the same, Lord, and you haven't called us to be. But you've, all, you've called all of us to function. There is some sort of way every single one of us should be operating, should be functioning, should be doing something for your glory, God. And when we aren't where we need to be spiritually in our relationship with you so that we can't serve the way we need to, God, we all suffer as a body. Because the load becomes too heavy to bear on the rest of the organs in the body. So, Lord, we, we pray that for all of the people in this room, that you would allow us to perform that diagnostic check. God, let us see what, what's working, what's, what's good in my life, what do I need, but what's in the way. And let us see that with clarity, God. And I pray that you reveal that in your word through those questions that I ask, God, through other faithful believers, through our friends, through our family, our spouses, God, that you would help us see that maybe we aren't where we need to be anymore. But that where you are taking us is just as beautiful as God honoring and as glorifying as where we were. It's a journey, and we trust that you go before us. Help us know our place. In Jesus name.